0: Good morning everyone. I'm a little sad you did not get the memo in the e-news yesterday. There was none. I'm just kidding. I did a wedding yesterday for Lindsay and Dalton, if you know Lindsay and Dalton, and you don't get to wear your wedding suit very often, and um, Lindsay's grandma pinned this bouquet on me so nice, I just want to give it another day. And I just noticed my shoes untied, and it was untied during the wedding yesterday too and a bridesmaid fainted. But something grasped me yesterday when Dalton um, gave his vows to Lindsay, Uh, and it is amazing what he said. Let me look here and which page it is. They were long. Um, Dalton had to pause because he started welling up with emotion, and he took a deep breath, and he said, um, it was such an amazing moment when I realized I love another human more than myself. But it was an even mo- better moment when I realized that you felt the exact same way about me. To love another person more than yourself. That captures the essence of what I want to talk about today. because we're in this series titled "The Second Mountain." which we uh, get from the title of the book David Brooks wrote, Second Mountain. And we're loosely just using that idea that in life there's a first mountain, and hopefully there's an option of a second mountain. The first mountain being an opportunity to build yourself, your career, to just build your life. And then the second mountain, a shift maybe away from some of those accumulating for yourself things and moving toward a focus on others. At least that's what he talks about in the book. Here's what Brooks writes. Life moves from self-centered to other-centered. They want the things that are truly worth wanting, not not the things other people tell them to want. They embrace a list of a life of interdependence and not independence, and they surrender to a life of commitment. So second mountain things... Interdependence, surrender, commitment. And the way that I translate David Brooks' uh, second mountain is to think that in this first mountain of life, we think that the universe revolves around me. And we shift into the second mountain of life where we come to this place of seeing the universe revolves around God and He is my center. And I set myself aside in order for God to be at the center. Way back in 1922, you might remember this big event. There was a race to see which country, which nation could get to the top of Mount Everest. Some people thought it was impossible to climb the 29,029-foot peak. And in 1922, many attempts began, and it took 31 years to get to the top, 31 years of trying. And on May 29th, 1953, Tenzing Norgay and uh, Edmund Hillary, yeah, you guys knew him. You didn't know the first guy. That was a little shift, wasn't it? That was sneaky. Threw me off, too. But they made it to the top. They stood there. For the first time ever on the top of the mountain. It was Tenzing's sixth time attempting to get to the top. It was Hillary's fourth time trying to get to the top. And it took 31 years of people trying to conquer Everest. And there's Hillary and Tenzing. So, Just to make a comparison getting to the moon remember just a few years later in 1961 jfk said i promise we will have a man on the moon by the end of the decade and it only took eight years to get onto the moon 31 years to conquer everest well hillary reportedly took with him a symbol that he then buried in the snow at the top and is still there today He carried with him a symbol in his greatest moment that he hoped to have. I wonder if he carried it every time or just the fourth time. But he took up there a crucifix, a little cross, and buried it in the snow. I actually don't know anything about Hillary or his faith or why he chose that symbol. But that is the symbol he chose and put up there. And it's actually fascinating because it really represents something about that symbol And the thing that happened when Jesus turned the world upside down. The cross was something that the Roman Empire used to humiliate people, to crush people. Because Rome was an honor-based society, so honor equaled greatness. Greatness came with honor. And if you had honor, you talked about it, everybody talked about it, you were honored. And the worst thing in Roman honor culture was the shame of humiliation. So worse than death was to be humiliated because your humiliation would continue into the future forever as your legacy. I mean, you would die and your body would be dead, but your legacy of shame and humiliation would continue. So this word in Latin, humilitas, meant crushed. Or debased. And there was nothing, nothing in all of Roman culture that honored humilitas as a virtue. No one wanted humility. So how is it that this ultimate form of punishment, crucifixion, became a symbol that somebody would carry to the top of a mountain in their greatest moment of victory? Because Jesus turned the world upside down. Jesus changed the definition of humility entirely. So Jesus came with his life, which wasn't seeking honor for himself, but seeking honor instead for God, and to live a life of interdependence, submission, and obedience to God. John Dickinson wrote this, Said, interestingly, what probably established humanity, humility as a virtue in Western culture was not Jesus' persona exactly, or even his teaching, but rather his execution. Or more correctly, his followers' attempt to come to grips with his execution. Because in all those Mediterranean cultures, Honor was the biggest thing. What do you do when honor equals greatness, merit equals honor, but humility equals shame and failure? Those are just the way they saw the world. So, what do you do if you're a follower of Jesus? What do you do with Jesus crucified? Because Jesus crucified had two options. Either Jesus wasn't as great as you thought. This crucifixion was evidence that Jesus was a failure. He is a humiliation. And all of Jesus' opponents latched onto that and said, yes, look at that guy. He died on the cross and he is undeniably not great because of this great humiliation. But Christians, Christians took a second option, and the Christians saw that Jesus showed them this way that humility, putting yourself aside for the purpose of serving others, was also a way to greatness. It was a different path To greatness. It was this noble choice to lower yourself in order to serve others. Christians took that path, and history has changed where now humility does not mean to us to be lower or less than or worthless. Humility is a virtue. So now, when Hillary gets on top of the mountain, And puts a crucifix into the ground, it's no longer a symbol of Roman power and creating submission of the people and humiliation. The crucifix is a symbol of a path to greatness by setting yourself aside and putting God at the center. Jesus said, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus turned upside down the Roman honor culture and created essentially what we have now, which is a new culture of humility. So we're looking at this passage this month in Second Mountain from Philippians chapter 2. And I want to just pull this apart, looking at it through the lens of humility. Not humility in the Roman sense, but in the jesus sense and what he did in bringing humility to us so paul writes in philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 1 saying this do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves a line that we americans may feel very familiar with because that is a virtue we aspire to live by But the problem for the Philippian church was that they were in Roman culture, and that was the problem. Vain conceit, thinking yourself better than others, putting yourself up and stepping on others to get up there. That was the values and the problem that Paul was addressing in in their life. So I've been wondering, what is something more relevant to us that could be like this? That Jesus turned the world upside down and has a humility root in it. And so I thought, maybe, since we are very consumeristic, materialistic people, maybe Paul could say to us, don't buy anything unless you need it. (gasps) What? You don't buy things because you need it. You buy stuff because it feels good to buy things, and it's fun, and you just want it, and you don't need it. In our culture, to speak to that perhaps would be more appropriate to step away from consumerism and put ourselves in a place of humility, not looking at what I need or can get, but perhaps looking at what others need and what we can provide for them. Paul goes on, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, not a Roman value to look to others' interests, you are focused solely on your own interests and it's kind of like a first mountain activity looking to your own interests to take care of yourself to get what you can get cs lewis said this about humility said humility is not thinking less of yourself it is thinking of yourself less thank you cs lewis Humility is not thinking less of yourself as if you're worthless or nothing, but instead recognizing the great value that you have because you have been made in the image of God, you are loved by God, you've been provided for by God, and so now you don't need to think about your own interests because you are taken care of, and you are now free to care for the interests of others. And we trust God is taking care of us, so I can then move toward others. Paul goes on, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus was God. He had all the right to everything about being God, but he did not grasp it and take hold of it and take it for his own advantage. Instead, he let go of those things in order to pick up something in serving others and taking care of others. And I think in this first mountain idea, we have a lot of grasping as we're climbing the ladder, as we're getting what we can get, as we're building our life. And in this second mountain contrast, we are letting go, and we are just receiving from God and in a place of gratitude for what God has given, and we are content. It goes on. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How awful was that, to be born as a person? It was a lowering. Jesus emptied himself. He was not grasping but instead emptying in order to be filled up with whatever God's will, purposes, and desires were. And Paul finishes by saying, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. He let go of his power. He set aside his glory. He did not demand that people fall down and worship him when he walked by. But instead, he let go of those things in order to take up something else for others. To open up the gates of heaven for God and people to be reconciled, to be reconnected. Jesus turned the world upside down by not being the center, by not seeking his own honor, but instead by making God the center and seeking God's honor. These past few weeks, I've been thinking about this little phrase and filling it in and trying to look at life through the the lens of humility. So I've been just thinking, humility is, and then filling it in with whatever comes to mind. And one image that came to mind was that when Jesus was met by a rich young ruler who said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, well, you tell me. And he said, well, you follow the law. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. If you follow the law, you'll get to heaven. And the young man said, great, because I have followed the law and I am awesome. And right there, I love how it pauses and it says that Jesus looked at the man thought, man, you are on the first mountain, striving and just doing all that stuff, but you're missing it. But Jesus doesn't, like, condemn him, scold him, get after him. It says that Jesus looked at the young man and loved him. What humility that Jesus would not demand something from the young man, but would instead first love and see him as a young man in process. I also like to think that the story, as Paul Harvey would say, finished the next day when the young man did come back and is now right with God in heaven. But another humility is, is Jesus listening to people. Seems to be a lost art in our world of simply listening to others intently and deeply. Instead of thinking about what you want to say or how you want to rebut or poke holes in their arguments, but Jesus simply listened and saw people. You know, oftentimes Jesus would be in a group of people and it would, the text will say something like, and Jesus knowing their thoughts. And maybe Jesus could read their mind, but I often think that Jesus was just paying attention to them. He was listening He was watching them he was caring for them and in that he could just see what they were thinking so humility of him coming and seeing people even when they were attacking him jesus demonstrates humility to us by first loving and then interacting with people from that place not a defensive demanding convince you place but from a place of love. I mean, isn't it interesting that Jesus, I mean, Jesus rarely gave answers. Poor way to argue. Poor way to win people over if you're never going to give them answers. Instead, Jesus simply pointed to the kingdom of heaven and said, check it out for yourself. Look and see. Jesus told stories and, and made parables and just said, look, and you'll find God there, and you'll you'll be surprised at what you find. Well, humility is Dalton yesterday in his wedding vows to say, I love myself a lot, and how shocking it is when I set myself aside to love you. He also makes commitments to doing the dishes every day, to living a life of serving someone rather than serving himself. Humility is being a parent. I think there's actually a demand that children be served and you, the parent, serve them. But beyond that, there's a choice that parents have to make to set themselves aside, to wake up in the middle of the night and to deal with this kid, to do the things necessary to nurture this life, perhaps at the expense of their own. Another interesting thing I've been thinking about is humility is volunteering. Something in this COVID season has shut down so much, and volunteering has been included in that, and because we haven't had that practice of serving others by keeping the schedule of volunteering, that we've missed out in that feeling of connection with others by serving others. And there's especially right now this thing of COVID that if I volunteer, I put myself at risk. And so I stepped forward to volunteer, to do things, to serve others, rather than stepping back and staying in a place of protection of myself. Another thing I've been thinking about, because COVID has changed tithing at church, but tithing is this amazing thing that people, you, every month, make an automatic deposit from your bank account, from your paycheck, to give to the church. And there's this, like, gift aspect where you just say, God, my job is to give to you, and I give. And it has been amazing that we have been funded as a church Because you all have remained faithful in your part to give. So thank you. And that's also in contrast to, like, demanding people to do something in giving. Or to even create a return on investment situation. Like, hey, if you give more, I will do better as a preacher. (laughs) Or if you give, here's the benefits you'll get. In tithing, and it's been so evident in this season of COVID, to me at least, that people give to give. It's their job. And they're trusting that the church will do the church's job of responsibly using that money. So thank you. Another place of humility is is the song, It Is Well With My Soul if you know the history of that song, the person who wrote it was sailing back over the ocean, over the spot where his family was drowned when the the ship sank. And he's sailing over that spot, and these words, "'It is well with my soul.'" "'This hurts, this is awful, this is terrible, but God, you have me, and you are taking care of me. I am provided for. "'It is well with my soul.'" Because I belong to you and you are at my center. Well, the second mountain of life is putting God in the center and the work of keeping God there. Not grasping, but instead receiving in peace God's providence and His provision into our lives. The second mountain. For Edmund Hillary, after he climbed Mount Everest and then explored the North Pole and the South Pole, he gave the rest of his life to philanthropy, to taking care of the Sherpas and the people of Nepal. He gave the rest of his life to focus on others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we welcome you to the center of our lives. May it be so by your grace. Amen.